theoretically possible. Why waste time? But it doesn't make any sense. Discovery Houston press to ATO. Three, two, one. What's up, friends? How's everything going? Everything's going very good. I'm excited to talk about a pretty amazing documentary show that we watched yesterday that honestly, it blew my mind how much I enjoyed it because I entered it thinking, just hearing the title, I was like, this is not the show for me. Yeah, I know. It was actually, it just came out on Netflix. And to me, I, I was I was the one who was the VJ. Mm-hmm. So I was looking through and just seeing, okay, what do we want to kind of you know, watch at the end of the night. And um, this one popped up and I know how musical my husband is. And um, <laughs> I, I know that music theory fascinates us both um, in terms of, yeah, like what makes music something that we all feel and love, yeah. you know? Um, and so this is kind of a history of the various different aspects of music and how they came to be. And so last night I thought it would be really interesting. Um, well, actually, let me pull up the the title of the, the actual show. The show's called This Is Pop. Yeah. And it is this this episode that we started off was not the first episode. You chose specifically yeah. the second episode which was focused on auto-tune. Yes. And it was absolutely fascinating for me. I don't I I knew I so for those of you who aren't familiar with what auto-tune is, it's basically software that fixes in real time people's pitch and tone to make Mm -hmm. it aligned perfectly with how the music should sound so you know if you're playing a a key like a b c d it wants it to be perfectly on point to make it sound perfect for the listener exactly but the other thing that it eventually would go on to do is it would it can also basically change someone's voice almost to being it to the point where it's unrecognizable or it's it's so perfect electronically right basically one of the really interesting moments actually towards the beginning of it in a weird way both Jonathan and I I didn't expect us to both understand and relate to this song was the the song uh, I believe by Cher because yeah. that came out at a time where we were definitely all experiment well, we were young enough to be able to like kind of be picking our own music right mm-hmm. or old enough but it was back in the day 1998 98 it was a lot it was a while ago so and that when that song came out it was huge and it sounded so different and no one understood why it sounded so different like it sounded electronic so this was kind of like in the emergence of electronic music and what's interesting is we're we're in this um generation where you know obviously computer and software and music and all these things kind of merged and combined in so many different ways this is the era also of like napster you know mm-hmm. when you could just download music but that song i remember i actually had like the single from share because i love that song so much and it hmm. really was so catchy yeah but what's interesting is that you know you find out in the documentary we're not going to do too many spoilers in this but i'll spoil it all i actually think yeah. like it's worth it to tell everyone because i mean how many people like i don't think anyone's going to really connect with it the way that we did yeah that's true yeah so at the time when that came out no one wanted to tell no one wanted to say anything in in you know the record business what was used to make that song so yeah, it's different. like it's like one of those secrets when a performer's on stage, no one wants to think that they're lip singing. Right. You know? And with 
auto-tune. No one wanted to think that they were replacing their talent by computer software. Mm. But they 100% were. They didn't expose it out there, but the record labels knew that something was going on. You could hear it in the in the voice. If you listen to it over and over again, there's moments where it like, quickly fixes the tone, like immediately. Mm. And it sounds almost robotic at times. It does. And it is incredible how that was the introduction of this software. This researcher, he came up with this software. So I guess it was like a, uh, someone said, I just want you to try to like fix my voice. So it sounds like it's always on pitch. And he was like, I could do that. And he basically wrote up the code for it, which looked pretty complicated from the documentary. And after he wrote up the code, he was able to manipulate people's voice to always be on point. And the thing that was the game changer was when he made it so that it was on point immediately in real time. And when that happened, you can hear the shift in the software, taking the voice and adjusting it. And during that little millisecond, you can hear it's not a hum- it's not fully natural. And right. that was really cool. It was a huge moment because I mean, up until that point, really, I mean, of course the producer could always, you know, fix and and change and edit things, but it would take so long that it was actually more useful to producers and record labels to hire people who had really great voices. I mean, yeah. and, and sometimes even those who had really great voices in the studio would take weeks and weeks to do, to do one song, right? Right, and get it right. But with this software, it really reduced time. So it, it was just interesting to learn about how it started. And it was a gentleman who his research didn't have anything to do with music, but he understood, you know, how software could actually be used to change the tone and pitch. Um, you know, in real time, which was pretty fascinating. And it was used by producers predominantly at first. And so then you hear about Cher and you hear that a lot, a lot of producers were using this, but no one wanted to talk about it. No one wanted to make it public. And then insert T-Pain. And Mm -hmm. T-Pain was kind of one of those first artists where he was trying to search for a way to really make his, his voice different, like to make his sound different yeah like a signature yeah exactly he was in a group with a bunch of rappers and he was like everyone kind of sounds the same you know everyone how do i make myself different so he was really searching the internet really he was searching the internet to understand how he could actually make him he was looking at plugins he was looking at all the different things i think this was like what back in like 2001 or something like that exactly yeah and so he was searching the internet for what what can I use? And he found, he stumbled upon auto-tune and he yeah, heard it. As he, a plug-in. As a plug-in. And he, he put his voice with it and he was like, yep, this is going to be the thing that makes me very different. Yeah. And, and, he, and it worked. And it, it worked, worked perfectly. And it was so interesting because it was always used, you know, back of show, back of scene, not really hidden, but he kind of put, he brought it to the fore. Right. And, and he was really catchy. I mean, people really took to it in a way where it was like, okay, this is easy to play on the radio. Everyone hears it and it's okay to play in the background of like whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds right. It feels right. Which is why I think so, like music theory is so fascinating because it does have to do with, you know, the various different ways that certain sounds feel good, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. when it when it sounds right. And so he kind of took that and he was the first artist and then someone else, I mean, others kept 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 it going and running with it and people had 
different opinions about, you know, the use of it, of yeah. electronics. I thought that one line that a one woman said who was actually pretty, she was kind of on the frontier of electronic music back in like, I think even in, in the early 90s. That was when da- he was from a David Letterman interview. Yeah. And David Letterman was young. He was yeah, probably he was. in his 30s. So yeah. you can guess how old this interview was on live tv exactly it was like before electric electronic music was really like you know as big as it is now obviously but she was saying you know that that question of when does um computer software when does technology actually make music better Mm -hmm. and when when is that line that fine line the elusive line of when it actually becomes like a crutch Mm. right and so that's always been the concern. It's like, mm. how, how do you use technology in a way where music still sounds like natural and human because that's a human thing, but then we're obviously in a very different era now. Yeah. So using technology and, and when, at what point do, uh, does talent become, you just look nice and we can make you sound any way or do you have a voice and it's amazing and yeah. you look a certain way, right? And so it kind of changed the industry, but I thought it was re- what was really interesting is T-Pain the evolution of T-Pain and then Kanye West too. His album was pretty, pretty profound also. Yeah. So I think that the main part of this whole documentary was focusing on the story of if it's too new to market, then people kind of get a little questionable with, you know, the authenticity of it or like, what is it? It doesn't make sense to them at first. But then when others come to market with it after someone already broke the ice, then it becomes cool. Mm -hmm. And so Kanye West was like the second individual. And that's when it was widely accepted in the hip hop music industry that autotune is actually a really cool thing. And when you look at T-Pain, when he entered with his unique one-of-a-kind sound because he really turned the autotune all the way up and that was his signature on all of his music, it made everyone question his ability to sing without auto-tune. Yeah. Like, if he could do it, I could do it. Anyone could do it. What makes him special? And that was a big mind shift. And I think that was a really, really cool story that they presented to the audience. But to me, I was always so much more interested in the founder of the auto-tune itself. I think that that story is one that deserves its own documentary. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you fully. I I think the invention of something like that, that goes on to change, revolutionize an entire industry, which it did. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think he really fully expected it to go as far as it did. But obviously, even now, today, when you're listening to music, you have to question, like, what's being, where is autotune being used? And it's actually being used in a way, like, T-Pain's sound that, like, that robotic sound almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like where it's like, this is, doesn't sound natural. Um, that's the most extreme use of auto-tune, but auto-tune is used in a lot of different ways where it basically just uses, you know, an algorithm to to basically make the, the pitch and the tone sound better. And mm-hmm. people and producers and artists still use that in a way that just helps save it saves them time. Yeah. Right. And it does so, save them time. so they don't have to do it all the way to the extreme where we obviously know it sounds like auto tune, but it actually auto tunes being used in music editing still to this day yeah. more than we even know. So, but I think Kanye West, his album was, was pretty pivotal cause it's, it, it, that really, we already knew what, what he sounded like. Well, he, we already knew what he sounded like. And mm. then this album, the 808s and heartbreak sounded like something unlike anything else we'd ever really heard. Right. It mm. was like for, for him, it was a total experimental album, but it was, 
it, it, it took off pretty well. But I think you're right in terms of like the founder and what you said too about the early adopters, like the, the people who first use it. Yeah. That also is to me a very fascinating case study that I would like to see, yeah. you know, in various different industries if that's true, mm-hmm. right? If you're the first, you're the early adopter, are you the one who gets the flack? Right. Right. And how much flack did the, the inventor of AutoTune actually end up getting? Well, I think at the beginning, it was one of those things where it was a massive shift where it went from, I like this artist. This artist is super talented. Like it is purely their voice. It's a skill or a talent that I don't have. You don't have one in a million has this degree of ability to perform that perfect pitch and then it became not necessary for one to have that skill or talent and so it is arguably the most influential instrument created in this new in the 21st century yeah that's what's so fascinating about it too that's one of the things that the woman who was playing with electro like electronic music way before it was really big too that's one of the things she said it was you know people didn't really fully grasp how technology was beginning was going to become the best new instrument, right? Yeah. Like if you really start thinking about how that man's software, the doctor's software, he really changed it. I mean, in a way yeah. where it's it's used, like I said, ubiquitously throughout the music industry in varying different levels. But that really, it, the invention of that software, like how, what else to me that was a perfect example of He's not in the music industry. He had no idea this was a problem, right? But some mm-hmm. one connection, one person that was his friend happened to know people in the record industry or was a producer or whatnot and said, hey, this is one of the issues. And he said, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And, and Really and, smart guy. Wow. Yeah. His I name's think, Andy Hildebrand. Hildebrand. So Dr. Hildebrand. Yeah. And it, to me, that it's about... When invention happens and it really hits and it disrupts or, or I wouldn't say it's not necessarily, it was disruptive, I guess, to the music industry, but in a, in a, over time. Yeah. Over time. Um, but he was really solving a problem to mm-hmm. me. There's so many inventions where it's like, oh, this is a cool idea just cause, you know, and that's fun too. Yeah. But he really took a problem and he created a solution for it. Definitely. Do you think that it's essential for individuals who are trying to, I don't know, get out there, like find some opportunity to actively search for what can make them different, you know, because T-Pain's whole whole journey was fully focused on, I need to find something that makes me sound unlike anyone else who's ever been on the market. And he was really working hard to figure out what that sound was going to be and how he could make it happen. And it wasn't until he, he basically took a took one like audio clip of him singing, just played it like a two second loop just over and over again, adding every single plugin he could possibly find online. And then when he found it, it was like, this is it. This is me. Like, I don't even know what that monumental type of moment would be like. Mm. But do you think it's important or necessary for individuals to go find ways to make sure that they are way different than anything else that's available right now yes i 100 percent do and What's it's the not the best way though? it's not easy well i think that's the problem well it's not the problem that's kind of, it? i think it's not it's 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 a feature not a bug in terms of 
how difficult it is to really make yourself different from the pack, right? Mm. Because if it was easy, everyone would be sounding different. Right. So it does require a lot of, you know, research. It requires, I think, leaning into the future a bit too. But another thing that was brought up about, you know, the whole auto-tune thing and what T-Pain was kind of looking for, I mean, he was also inspired by, I think it was in the 1980s when it came out, the voice box, Mm. where you really it was really someone like basically you had a little tube and you put it in your mouth and you would basically speak into it and it would just really change the voice and i if yeah. you I, I wish that i had a, a clip to play so that you understand like people would understand i think a lot it. of people know it's not auto-tuned so it's not automatically adjusting the pitch for you but you can play the instrument in that t- in the key that you choose to play it in exactly Does that makes sense exactly and so that was that sounded different. It made a lot of songs in the 80s sound very, very different. It was unique, and some people liked it, some people didn't. But I think in terms of what T-Pain was looking for to differentiate himself in the market, he went to that for inspiration in a weird way. He kind of, like, remembered that and just wanted to sound different. And, you know, he, he took off. So it is it is difficult, but how does one actually differentiate themselves? Well, I think that obviously you kind of take a look at whatever industry you're in, right? If you're a creator, yeah. if you're... I mean, a creator kind of encompasses everything, like whether that's yeah. making, you like know, if you're making a video or if you're doing a podcast or something, right. you look at the way that everyone's doing it or you try to find averages yeah, and then you ensure that you're not in that average. Is it really that simple? Kind of. But it's, I think the most difficult part is finding that unique thing that puts you out of the average, takes you yeah. out of the average. And, and to be honest, it could hit like T-Pain did, or yeah. it could be, it could be a complete mix. Yeah, see, I think that's the most difficult part. So it's one thing to find the average and then make sure you're not in the average, but it's another thing to find out where outside of the average is the s- single point or that area of massive hit, like everyone accepts mm. it widely is. And that's that's difficult. You know, he could have he could have sounded like a monster or a, a little tiny mouse, you know? Right. But instead... He went with this one and that, you know, a monster, a little tiny mouse would be way out of the average, but it wouldn't have been the hit. Like he could have been a chipmunk, yeah. you know, like Alvin and chipmunks, but he was like, no, I want to sound like this way with this type of music, yeah. you know, R&B, hip hop, large, uh, heavy bass. And it just clicked so well. It yeah. was, it, it, when I heard the first song that he did, it was called I'm Sprung. Like they played in the documentary. It just like brought me back instantly. I was like, man, that was so forward. That was, was so ahead. And there is something about autotune. It's an amazing freaking tool. And I do think that we can go beyond tool now and accept it as a way, one of a kind instrument. It's not what you typically think of when you think of the term instrument. Mm. Instrument we always think of as a physical item. This is software, but this software... It was so different from any plugin. It still is so different from any plugin or anything I've ever seen on music editing. But it is not as much. It, it, it's in. It's its own instrument. Yeah. You can play with it, and just because you, I don't know what makes it d- more similar to an instrument than, you know, just like a, I don't know, a toy or something. There's something yeah. to do with like this ability where everyone has a voice and sings, but to do it 
where it adjusts it. I don't know. It's just the most amazing thing. It I mean, is. Absolutely fascinating. Well, I love what you just said about like, it, it's not a physical instrument. That's, that's one thing I think that was pretty profound too, is that instruments and the way that they evolve are yeah. going to change over time. I mean, right. even... I think they're going to be less physical for sure. For sure, right? I mean, it, especially with a keyboard on your computer, right? And you can have hardware and all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. But really what makes music production right now so interesting is the software more than right. anything else more than the hardware yeah well i think about what is next what is the next type of instrument or what how could this be and i i often go to the jimmy fallon show where they get these weird instruments sometimes they're like little kid instruments but more often they're something that looks extremely futuristic and they have guests go on and try to figure out how to play this instrument and then play a, so- a popular song for the band, The Roots, to guess which song it is. And they had this one instrument that basically changed uh, when you bring a metal rod close to another metal rod. And it changes the pitch based on how close it is and where it is uh, located when they're interacting, the rods themselves. And it's almost like static. You know, like it, it, the pitch changes when they get closer and it goes higher and lower. So you just try to play it right in these little areas. And I'm thinking, that's a really one-of-a-kind instrument. What What's the next evolution? Where are we mm-hmm. going with this? What could this be like? Because, like you said, electronic music 10 years ago, it was nothing compared to where it's at now. I mean, we are seeing songs in the top 10 all the time fully focused on electronic music. Yeah. But back then... I mean, Cher was electronic music, but that was, like, way radical. You go further b- back, it's, like, completely brand new. Yeah, I know. And, and and so the evolution of music and the evolution of software and hardware and instruments is going to be... I mean, it, it's going to continue. I think what's interesting is that the digital space, software specifically, and mm-hmm. algorithms and whatnot, um, that it's that it's made with, it is going to continue to evolve. It actually allows mm. us, it kind of expands the possibilities of creativity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I love one line in, uh, in the documentary that I forgot who said it, but he, he said, you know, the creation and the evolution really comes from the misuse of tools. Right. Ooh, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I like mis- think about that. Misusing the tools that are provided for you, misusing them in a way that's just different. Right. A misuse is basically that's kind of how the share song happened. It was not supposed to go all the way. You weren't supposed to use autotune all the way to the extreme, but they did. And it worked and it just sounded different. Right. It, it what I don't know. It, I wonder if it was the autotune that made it so addicting. You know, this for those of you that aren't familiar with this song, it's the one where it goes. I think it's just called Believe by yeah. Cher. Do you believe in love after love? Yeah. Do you believe in life after love? Life after love. Yeah, that's right. And, oh my gosh, why is it so addicting? I'm now starting to question, was it the autotune? Yeah. Was it that instrument, that software? Is it an instrument or a tool? Or is it both? I guess it's both. I think it's both. And, An and, instrument is a tool, right? Yeah. Well, and I think when you, when you really start breaking down music or sound and why it sounds, why certain sounds and certain songs, certain types of music kind of hit you in a different way, they sound good or they don't sound good, I think right. it has a lot to do with, obviously, the level of novelty. And we. this is where it's really interesting because sound is a wave, right? So yeah. what what 
frequency of wave hits our eardrums in a way that makes us feel like, yes, this is a good song. I like this. Like what part of mm. that? And so it is fascinating. I mean, it, is it auto-tune? Maybe. And maybe that the way that it was used just so happened to, I don't know, meet the right requirements. Hmm. What And they didn't know. I don't think that anyone knew what the requirements were because this is new, right? There was right. no blueprint for it. But it whatever that measurement of, you know, this is novel, but it's familiar enough and it mm-hmm. all feels right. Like it was so catchy. I remember it playing on the radio all the time. So what is that? And I think about that too. I mean, when we did a, a podcast like way early on in this uh this podcast life about K-pop, right? I I did a whole, I basically did a whole deep dive of K-pop because I thought that the whole aspect of BTS, Mm -hmm. the K-pop band that was kind of taking over the world was very, really interesting. And what about their music was so catchy, right? And there's, they're so interesting to me and I'm trying to figure out because you're, we're talking about things being novel. Do you think that they were way novel or do you think that you were able to categorize them and something that you've, enjoyed in the past i think that their sound the music that's produced is produced in a way where they kind of know there's almost i, I guarantee you there's a mathematical equation like sound <laughs> and math are very connected interconnected right yeah. um s- similar to visual right there's a golden ratio there's a rule yeah. of thirds there are certain aspects visually that make us like things better than if they were, you know, just off a little bit. And so there's a lot of, you can uh, use Photoshop to enhance how someone looks. It's like auto tune. You can use auto tune to enhance how someone sounds. Exactly. Yeah. And it it is mathematically based when you, when we're talking about algorithms, we're just talking about math. An algorithm is a mathematical equation, basically that, Mm -hmm. that is automatic, right? You just say, this is what the formula is. And I want you to do this. Yeah. And so when they're playing with that, it is, it is interesting. Like, what is that equation that makes you really like it? What, like, across is it just the board. Auto-tune? Is it just auto-tune? I don't it's think it's just not. auto-tune. There's yeah. so much more. It's a pretty complicated algorithm. Yeah, it if is. We're, if we're talking about, uh, was it BTS? BTS, yeah. the, the Korean boy band. Is yeah. Is that the correct term? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, their algorithm for that, for their song, uh, Firework, it is very complex. But when you think about the algorithm for auto-tune, it's extremely complex, but it's only focused on one little specific aspect of it. Yeah. Adjusting someone's voice. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of the equation too. Like if you don't sound good, Mm. no no music behind you is going to make you sound good. Right. But there is that, if you just have that one little piece, that's what the auto-tune really did was Mm -hmm. just take that little piece, just the the voice, the sound. And I do think that the voice means a lot relative Mm to the beat hmm. in the background, yeah. um, for sure. And I think that there are a lot of examples that would showcase that. And that documentary on Netflix that we watched last night definitely highlighted that as well. Like the 808 drums, yeah. right? There's something about the 808 drums that feels right, that I feels know. good, right? It does feel good. It's very interesting. So when, when, we f- when we discover that, that kind of like, okay, that becomes a part of this music industry. We're going to keep that in the back pocket, make sure that the next song uses the 808 drums in a way that is right for that song, but mm. we're going to use that still. We're going to mm. use auto-tune in a way where it's either going to make it sound really different or it's we're just going to basically make sure that the voice is highlighted and it sounds great to everyone. W- would you say that auto-tune was the most influential, like game-changing, I keep on going back to instrument of the 21st century? I would say for music, yeah. I, I would think so. I can't think of another 
more profound way that influenced music from uh, the creation of this electronic uh, rod that changes pitch. Yeah. Like I can't think of anything that's changed it. I'm sure that, that you know, sound engineers can be like, well, it's debatable, this and this and this. But for mainstream music, that was such a mind-blowing game changer. Yeah, it was. And I think we're, we're highlighting this because, you know, we talk a lot about things that are relatively new in terms of the future. Some people are saying, you know, this is not going to work and other people are diehards and saying, yeah, this is absolutely going to change the game, yeah. right? In lots of different industries. And this is just highlighting one yeah. tool, one new thing that came into an industry where, you know, some people latched onto it and right. for whatever reason, they didn't want anyone to know about it right? because well, they thought it was like creating a shortcut in a weird yeah. way, right? It is. And it is. It, I would say that this uh, whole documentary or this story perfectly complemented the Jeff Bezos quote of let your curiosity drive you. Yeah. So I think if anything, feel free to check it out, but I want to take from this documentary, let's try to figure out what can make us different for everything for in everything that we do. Yeah. Actively go seek it, go play around. Like it should be fun. The whole journey of like hunting and gathering and finding the treasure. And so I want to find out what can make us one of a kind. And if you do that, you have a good chance of achieving your big goal, high level dreams. Yeah. Well said. And I think, you know, searching for those tools that maybe are already out there. And if it's not already out there, it's probably a good idea to experiment and see how you can create it yourself. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so too. So thanks for tuning in today. We are, uh, we love you guys. We are so grateful for you all tuning in each and every day and we look forward to speaking with you all tomorrow we'll talk to you then bye